Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, we have a fascinating report on the type of flotsam washed up along our west coast beaches, and a dispute in the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority, threatening to stop trawlers landing their catches next week. Clean Coast's environmental group has thousands of Irish volunteers dedicated to the protection and care of our beautiful beaches and waterways. They organise hundreds of beach cleanups and remove tons of marine litter every year. And at their annual awards in December, they honoured groups and individuals from around the country who've made outstanding contributions to the care of our coastal environments. One of the main awards was won by a member of Keep Our Beaches Clean group from the Clue Bay area of South County Mayo. Joanna McNicholas met her on one of her beaches. At Caramore Beach near Lewisburg in County Mayo, I met the Ocean Hero Individual of the Year Award winner Mairead Stanton to offer my congratulations and to hear about the more unusual items which wash up on our beaches from the Atlantic Ocean. Well, I'm delighted to accept the award, even though, you know, I I take it for the team. We have a great group here called Keep the Beaches Clean. And I think they were all responsible for nominating me for this one. But really, uh, it's a team effort. We're people that like minded people who have a social media group that keep each other updated on which beach needs a little bit of attention today. And young mothers and their kids and lots of people from all around the South Clue Bay area. We get out and we do our little bit and keep the beaches clean. And you come out here every morning after your swim and collect whatever you can find. Yeah, well, there's a gang of us to go for a swim at eight o'clock. And then there's a few of us. Then once we're dressed and warm, we take off with the litter pickers and we get a little bit of exercise. We have a chat and we leave the place nice and clean. So in the summertime, we carry home a lot of stuff that isn't rubbish, like towels, um, swimwear shoes, all sorts of stuff that people walk away and leave after them. And we've, well, I've had great fun reuniting some of them with their owners. And then the rest I send off either to the towels go to the dog charity, the rescue home, or uh, the rest of the stuff goes to the the charity shops. I've had a few trips to the charity shops with all the good items that are left here at the beach. Now, apart from those items, you also have some very unusual items here that have washed up. (laughs) I have a big jar of shotgun cartridges, the casings from shotgun cartridges. They're all used up and dead, but these come in on our shores. And I really don't believe that they're all coming from Ireland. I'd love to know. I have a question for the powers that be. Where do all the shotgun cartridges come from that land on our beaches? I, I... recently in the last couple of weeks I've started putting them in my pocket rather than the rubbish bag and you can see I have a huge jar of them gathered and this is just one beach in Ireland you know they're coming in on all our beaches I'd love to solve that mystery where do they all come from whose rubbish is this and you know there's not just one piece of waste here there's two components to it there's the outside casing and then there's there's the inside part which kind of flares out like a star but I'd love to know where they come from. That's my <laughs> first rant out of the and way. is it just the West Coast they're coming in on or are they coming in on all our shores? I think they're coming in all around but uh, I'd love to hear other litter groups to see 
Are they getting them as well in where they live? But where could that volume be coming from? Yeah. Because that's a lot of cartridges. I think they float across the ocean and land here. I don't know, but I'd love to find out. I never hear shotguns going off around here. They're definitely not belonging to us, but where did they come from? Can anyone solve this mystery? So what else have I? I have this jar of oil, which I found on this beach at Carmore. It has a, uh, it's called Visualab Lab. Um, I, I sent off an email when once I googled Visualab and there's a, a registration number on the seal of the bottle. And it's a sample of fuel. They, I don't know, on boats, they take samples. But the lab that I got in touch with was in Houston, Texas. And they couldn't figure out how it landed on a beach. But they wanted to collect it. And they got my postal address and all to send a courier to collect it. But they never turned up. So I have it now, about two years later. Uh, I think it's just a sample of diesel or something. I don't. There's no smell off it or anything. But... Uh, that was an interesting thing that came in here at Carmore. It either fell off a boat or, I don't know, got mislaid somehow. It's hard to know how it got into the sea and to be washed in here. You know, that is a, a serial number and I'm sure it'd be easy enough to trace it in the, wherever it originated. But as I said, I came to a dead end with the, with the emailing. You know, they, they got all the information they asked for, but then it went no further, so. I don't know whether that'll ever come to anything. Now this, this is a big um, backbone vertebra of a sea creature. I think it's a sperm whale. I googled it and I have great fun when I go home sitting down and looking up Google on things that I found or um, toothpaste tubes or margarine tubs or something that I have picked up on my travels and to see what country they originated in. But this is a large vertebra from some kind of a whale and I found it in Talabon maybe six years ago. I have some smaller ones as well from God knows what. I'd love a, a zoologist or somebody to to help me to like that's a like a mini version of that's the of tiny, the big one isn't it? Tiny vertebrae yeah. Yeah. But that bigger one there that what would it be about? 14 or 15 inches I'd say across and then it's about 12 or 13 up or down. I don't know which way it goes in the end, but that's, I think, where the spinal cord goes through there. So it's a very interesting creature from yeah. the deep. And of course, I have lots of lovely uh, driftwood, um, beautiful shapes of driftwood that I find on the beach as well. When I'm walking on the beach, just to make it interesting, I keep an eye out for uh, wishing stones, a stone with a stripe through it all the way through the stone and supposedly it's a wishing stone so if you hold it in your hand you can make your wish and you know it might come true or a hag stone then is a, a stone you can see through that there's a hole all the way through and they're supposed to have magic powers but this is entertainment for me when I'm walking on the beach and so often when I'm picking litter I come across a heart on the on the beach either a stone that's in the shape of a heart or a puddle or even a stone where the sand has been left on it so that it looks like a heart. And it's lovely. It makes me feel that I'm being thanked or appreciated for what I'm doing on the beach. It's a nice, loved feeling. I, I you know, it might sound a bit screwy, but uh, I do enjoy when I have that little moment of love coming back at me. Because I'm, I'm trying to love the beach by keeping it nice and clean. You can do so many things on the beach. You can be peaceful, you can be energetic, you can get your exercise. It's a, it's a fabulous place to just come and even 
relax and meditate. And where do you think this driftwood might, did it just come in or? Well, you know, we don't have that many trees on our coastline. If you look, you can't really see any tree at all. So they definitely come in from far off places. Yeah, I'd love like somebody that knows about the carbon dating and everything. Recognize what type of a tree it was. Was it pine? Was it ash? Was it oak? What was it? Like it's a long time since that was a live tree. They look very old. And some of them look like like that looks that like, looks a, fish like a, fish. a fish or a dolphin or something. Like if you had a creative mind, you can make some beautiful stuff out of that. Now the best find I ever got was a letter that had started life in a bottle, but by the time it got here, it was the bottle had perished and. It was just in a Ziploc bag and it was a lovely letter from that travelled all the way from South Carolina. It took a year and a half to cross the Atlantic. But that, that's another story. That's for another day, maybe. But ever since, I keep my eye out for a, a story just as good as that one. That's what keeps me going. The most unusual thing that I ever saw was an enormous coconut that was the size of a football and definitely you wouldn't find the like of it in our supermarket. <laughs> Some people find this whale vomit, which is worth really a lot of money. They use it as a base for perfume. It it's, comes up out of the whale's stomach. I remember hearing it on the radio one morning. Um, somebody in Clare had found a lump of it, and it was worth 150000 How would you recognise it? I don't know. And, uh, you know, even if it, if it earned me that much money, I think I'd be reluctant to touch it. But, yeah, it's supposed to be very valuable stuff. Sometimes, you know, when I come on a, a very worn log, like it's gone all round it at the edges, and I think to myself, could this be the whale vomit? Could this be something that'll see me to the, you know, rich for the rest of my life? I can, re- you know, relax now and not have any more financial worries. But no, it's usually just a piece of wood that has been in the sea for a long time. <laughs> and after that interesting conversation, Mairead took me to see her collection of sea glass. This is the collection of glass I've made over the years picking litter. I take the sea glass with me. So I have a massive collection of clear white glass. And I have a lot of green, uh, some blue and some brown. They're all nicely smoothed by the waves and the ocean. And then this big vase here, it's full up of pieces of crockery that I found. Some of them have patterns or stripes or... Just, you know, some of them are very, very old looking. And it's like, look at that, it's like a crock or something. It's nice to think of the history and the people that, you know, drank some kind of liquid out of that container years and years ago. My my grandparents lived about a mile from the sea, so I often imagine that some of these might have come from their kitchen many years ago. But there must be hundreds of pieces of between the glass and the crockery there. Oh, thousands, I'd say. Some artists now sometime might like to, to take those and make something beautiful out of them. Some I've seen some beautiful art made from sea glass. These are beautiful little lozenges oh. of smooth glass. I hope you find a home for them all. <laughs> well, if anyone out there is looking for sea glass, I can provide some and happily pass it on. Joanna McNicholas with Mairead Staunton, who is the Ocean Hero of the Year award winner at Caramore Beach. And if you have any answers or theories about where those shotgun cartridges might be coming from, you might let us know. The email is seascapes at rte.ie. This week saw a 24-hour work stoppage in the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority, the state agency with responsibility for inspecting all catches landed in Irish ports. 
that comes ahead of a threatened 48-hour work stoppage next week in this long-running dispute. Ian MacDonald of the Forza Trade Union told me about the SFPA and what this dispute was about. Well, it's the Sea Fishery Protection Authority and they're charged with ensuring that there is compliance in um, fish stocks when when they're brought in by fishing vessels to ensure that they're within the quotas allowed by the EU and also um, that everything is covered from a a field uh, safety point of view. So they're doing dockside inspections? As I understand it, yes, uh, the the members carry out uh, inspections at each of the the harbours that uh, fish are landed in around the country. And in in the first instance, they they ensure that, um, as I said, that the the catches are within the limits allowed, that everything is done in a safe manner and recorded. And that's reported back um, to the EU through uh, various uh, paperwork, recordings, electronic and hard copy. They are they operate under EU regulations, but they are an Irish state agency. How many people work there? I think there's approaching um, 200 uh, in totality. We have 110 members ourselves, um, the, the ones that oversee the harbour as well. You had a 24-hour work stoppage this week. What was that about? Well, that goes back to uh, February of last year, February, March of last year, when um, we suspended notice of industrial action that was due to take place then and the reasons for that at the time were the unilateral introduction of uh, recommendations in a, in a PwC report which took a review of the organisation. It has to be remembered that there's a very fractious relationship over many years between the staff and the management and um, that that's continued to deteriorate to a point where an independent company was brought in, PwC, to, to take a review of the organisation and how it carries out its business. And a lot of that was the relationship with the staff and how to improve matters there. So there were 47 recommendations, as I said, issued in that report. And But uh, critically, the report recommended that um, that should be jointly carried out by the union and uh, the management. So if you go back to uh, February of uh, last year, Susan uh, Susan Steele, who was the who was effectively the CEO at the time of the organisation, wrote to the staff and explained that management had successfully introduced twenty seven of the recommendations um, at that point, and you know that that was very upsetting for our members because the introduction of those uh, recommendations um, had a direct effect on people's. Uh, working conditions, um, how posts were filled, how people transfer from one post into another, how people carry and retain um, pensionability of rostered allowances, etc. That the, you know the, the, the way that the organisation introduced the twenty-seven recommendations um, effectively negated a lot of those established terms and conditions and their right to carry and and and, and uh, sustain their pay terms and conditions. The the agency is relatively small and people might not know about it. What the kind mm. of work your inspectors do? What would they be equivalent to elsewhere? Like would they be graded the same as Gardaí or lower or higher or what? It's 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 a middling. I would say it's a middling salary without getting into numbers. It might be it'd be in the in the territory of. Um, you know, maybe your guards are a little bit, a little bit under that. Obviously, they have um, they have shift allowances, um, which help boost the pay a little bit, and um, 
that's to cater for the unsociable hours and and, and that that nature of, of work that they do, which which is pensionable, which has a value to them for obvious reasons. So I suppose to give a practical example, and one of the, the car changes that was brought in amongst many others, if you want to take it, so if you're uh, if, if you're on the front line and you've been an, an inspection officer for, for a good many years, and perhaps an opportunity comes to take a supervisory management role you know, in an office area, shall we say, um, you would now have to forego uh, your rostered allowance and t- effectively take a pay cut. So you would always you would have always would, would have retained your rostered allowance when you go into a in, into a job of that nature, and you will be available then to the the SFPA to then carry out inspections at weekends as required to support your officers, or if you have to do uh, ad hoc on spec inspections outside of hours. So so it's not that you you would never have to do any roster duties again. Your rostered um, duties will be available to the organisation. But the management were looking for that, you know, were, were advertising the roles without agreement of the union that you would have to take your roster allowance out of your new arrangement. So th- that's just one practical example uh, amongst many. So what's been the history then of the dispute over the last year? You're going to the Labour Court or you want to go to the Labour Court? In March of last year, toward the, on the cusp, on the cusp of uh, industrial action, uh, action happening in March, uh, February, March of last year, the Workplace Relations Commission intervened um, because it was a matter of uh, national interest to, uh, to keep the you know to keep the, the business going, and we went in to both ourselves and uh, the SFPA willingly went in to uh, the Workplace Relations Commission, and in the four instances we had a number of uh, conciliation conferences where um, the WRC will mediate and try and reach agreement between both sides. But the difficulty in there in that process was management wouldn't move one, one inch. And and here's here, here's a re, here's the real part of the problem. The SFPA are, are you know they're they're supposed to be tasked to manage and run that that business and inspection side of, of fisheries and to ensure all all is well and all is done within re- regulations. But I suppose getting back to the WRC piece, uh, unfortunately there wasn't success there, and we both sides again voluntarily agreed that the matter would be referred into the Labour Court, which is the next step. On the collective industrial relations issue, when you when you don't have success at the WRC, you move into the court. And um, we met with the Labour Court in a formal hearing setting in June of last year. The court um, was quite conscious of the the long term fractious and bad relationship between management and staff and the union for a great number of years. And they said they felt the best way they could assist us was in the context of a, a binding arbitration. Now, the union confirmed that we would be uh, we, we we would be interested in that approach, and we we would uh, put our put our issues in the hands of the court and, and our arguments, and be bound by the outcome. The SFPA, our understanding was they confirmed that they would do so as well. So the court reconvened in July of last year, and shortly before the hearing, um, the SFPA informed the court that they could only be bound by the outcome once they got permission from uh, DPAR, the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. So in other words, they wanted to see what the record, what, what the decision of the court was, but they wanted to have the facility then to, to run that by DPAR. And if DPAR says no, it's no. So since July of last year, we've been, we've been trying to um, look at alternative ways to resolve the dispute. But the company have continued to unilaterally introduce the PWC recommendations and uh, we've had no choice but to reactivate our industrial action. Um, if they return to that position that they will be bound by the, the outcome without prejudice 
or having the right to um, get forward or approval post a labour court decision. But then the then then the uh, industrial action can stop. But if, it, if if they do not do that, it'll ramp up to forty eight hours next week, and okay, we'll be meeting that, after that to that's, consider. That's next ramping week. Forward or again. You you just went back that's to work last week, night, yes. and so next week you've got forty eight yes. hours. Yes, we have a forty-eight hour work stoppage, and we'll be meeting um, later today and on mon- uh, Monday to uh, to review um, the twenty-four hour stoppage. And there's a terrible relationship there over a great number of years, um, and it can't continue. But the management have to play. The management of, of, of the SFPA have to play an equal role in that, and, and at least meet us halfway, and give us give us the right to negotiate properly on behalf of our members. What happens to a trawler if it wants to land a catch while you are on strike? I presume they can land and, 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 and dock. And sorry for the terminology. If I get it wrong, I'm a lay person in relation to, 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 to that side of it. But um, our members will not be there to assist in, in processing their, their catches and recording them, ensuring that the you know that they're, that they're, they're, they're at the appropriate level that's uh, allowed for uh, under EU regulations. And and in that context, um, I don't think they can they can proceed then to um, to process the fish. Mm. But we've now quarrel with the uh, we've now quarrel with the fishing industry. Uh, it's a difficult job our members do and, and the SFPA do because uh, there's obviously naturally disputes over what qualifies as a a catch and what's allowable. So it's not a popular job. They are effectively a, a type of police force for the fishing industry, shall we say. But we've now quarrelled with the with the fishing industry, and we wish them well. But we have to resolve this matter because I tell what would affect the fishing industry will be a lack of inspectors, for example, or inspectors' work being stretched to such a point that they can't uh, properly cover all the parts. So that's one problem that that the management have created. They've they've um, flooded Clonakilty in particular with back backroom staff. They don't entertain remote working. So in other words, if you work in any of the, the five other, other areas around the country, whether it be Holt, Rossnaville and Galway or, or Sligo, etc., you know, you cannot get a job in, in, in uh, you cannot really progress properly into supervisor roles or management roles because you have to move to Clonakilty. They insist that people are in the office in Clonakilty, which is bizarre when you think of uh, remote work and what's happened during COVID, that's one thing they just flatly said no to, you know. So th- th- this this company needs to get out of the dark ages and uh, engage properly with its staff. When is your 48-hour strike or work stoppage meant to start? It's going to start in the, the middle the middle of next week, midnight Tuesday, rolling into Wednesday the 25th. So, so Tuesday, midnight, Wednesday. And then it'll end midnight on Thursday the 27th. So that's the uh, the plan for next week. And that was Ian MacDonald of Forza. And there is real concern in the fishing industry that work stoppages will prevent trawlers from landing catches and from having fresh fish processed in a timely manner. In a statement today, the SFPA said, The Sea Fisheries Protection Authority has been notified by Forza of industrial action within the SFPA with a 48-hour work stoppage on January 26th and Thursday, January 27th in addition to the 24 work stoppage which took place yesterday. The SFPA has requested Forza to confirm that minimum cover will be provided on these days as is required under the Code of Practice to help minimise disruption to the industry and the seafood trade. And they say that the SFPA is making best efforts to minimise the impact on the industry of this industrial action, but some disruption of services may be unavoidable.
They say they're keen to secure an early resolution to matters as soon as possible and they're disappointed that industrial action is being taken. Along with Forza, the SFPA say they've been awaiting a hearing of the Oversight Body for Non-Commercial State Bodies, a dispute resolution mechanism agreed by all parties in the public service. A date for that hearing is January 28th and the SFPA say they will be attending. We keep you informed of what's happening. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast is on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. Maybe with all the restrictions being lifted, you have a long delayed event coming up. You might be interested in going along. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Stay safe.